Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, and welcome to another podcast brought to you by the Dementia Researcher website. I am Megan O'Hare, and today I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Susan Liggett, Reader in Fine Art and Associate Dean for Research Faculty of Art, Science and Technology, and Dr. Megan Wyatt, based at the Wrexham Glyndwar, <laughs> that I should have checked how to say, <laughs> University. Um, we're going to be discussing how arts-based methodologies and the knowledge and skills of an artist can be used within the field of health to create new understandings and promote well-being. Both Susan and Megan are artists and Megan's PhD looks specifically at utilising her skills and perspectives as an artist um, within health to create new knowledge. And Susan worked with Megan and supervised her PhD and together they co-authored a paper the potential of painting, unlocking disenfranchised grief for people living with dementia. And so we'll touch on that today. And they are in the process of writing a chapter for the practical handbook of dementia to be published later this year. So welcome to you both. Hi. 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 <laughs> Maybe we could start with a quick round table introduction from each of you to tell us your background and how you came to work in this field. So Megan. Yeah, so uh, hello. Um, I, as other Megan said, I'm a practicing artist and researcher. So um, my background is in the arts. I did a degree in fine art and then a master's in art practice. Um, and I became interested in dementia through a personal experience, really. So I lived with my um, grandma who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and I became very quickly aware of the difficulties that people living with dementia face and also those who are caring for them face um, and I became interested in how arts could um, improve the lives of people living with the condition um, and so from that I then set about my PhD and, um, and it's gone from there really in a nutshell. Okay, great. And Susan? Well, firstly, thank you for inviting me and, and thanks to Megan for, for inviting me as well on her podcast. So um, I was Megan's supervisor for a PhD. I'm um, a practicing painter myself, but also the Associate Dean for Research at Wrexham Glyndwr University. And um, I'm very interested in how the visual arts can contribute to a better society and um, was very excited when Megan came to me wanting to study for a PhD in the field of dementia, partly because my mother, also, my mother has vascular dementia and although I'd done some work um, in the arts and health, I hadn't specifically worked in the field of dementia. So it was an opportunity for me to supervise Megan. Um, so I worked very closely with her and helped her with her workshops with people living with dementia. And we wrote the paper together. And now that Megan's graduated, I've made her a visiting researcher at the university. And we're looking for opportunities to um, work together again in the field of dementia. So yes, we're, we're looking at the North Wales context as well. So 
very much looking at how we can work with other organisations within North Wales to further the arts and health work that, that is ongoing there at the moment. And we're both um, on the steering committee for the Wales Arts, Health and Wellbeing Network and the North Wales Concordat for Arts and Health. Great. Um, I think we were going to jump in, Megan, and talk about the findings from your PhD. But I, can we come to another question first? Because did you say you did a master's in arts practice, was it? Yeah. 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 And I think I was reading your paper and uh, I sort of thought, oh, yes, it's about art therapy <laughs> in that way that people you read an abstract and go, oh, yeah, I totally know what this paper is going to be about. But actually, <laughs> it's not art therapy, is it? It's art as a research tool. So maybe actually we could start with that. So everyone's on the same page. Yeah, yeah. So that um, was something that I thought a lot about um, when, especially sort of in the early days of my PhD, and Sue helped me a lot with that, was where do I fit? Um, and actually, I think art therapy is more about, um, say, the clinical benefit that somebody is having. Um, and I, as I sort of started to look around at the different literature, there's lots of literature and research that's emerging that says doing art for people living with dementia benefits their well-being. Um, and that's sort of becoming this known entity mm -hmm. um, and being acknowledged that it, it is useful. Um, but I think what I was interested in um, and where my gap in knowledge was, was how is it benefiting their well-being, and what is happening when those people living with dementia are engaging in art. Um, and so I, um, I know I spoke briefly um, about my grandma, but where it started was, um, so I was doing my master's in art practice, and my grandma was also a painter, and I noticed that um, there was lots of similarities between what I was doing and what she was doing, um, even when she was really quite unwell. Um, she carried on making this artwork and I, I became interested in those experiences of making and my knowledge as an artist of those experiences of making um, and how I could um, work with people um, to really understand their engagement in the art. So the focus was more on that process of making art and the art itself, rather than focusing on that improvement to how they were. Does, does that answer so your question? Yeah, so using the art and the act of creating the process um, to explore how you're feeling about the world a bit more maybe. Yeah, and to, to try and gain an insight into, um, you know, that ex how do you feel when you pick up a paintbrush? You know, why do we choose certain colours? It's all about those personal connections that we have um, and how do we communicate things? And it's quite hard to verbally articulate because a lot of those experience, um, experiences defy verbal articulation they're all about kind of you connecting with that medium and expressing something um, and I was interested in how for people living with dementia you know their verbal ability um, is something that they may not have anymore but I was interested in how could they still connect with those non-verbal experiences. Shall we move on to the findings from your PhD then? 
Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so my PhD at the end of it suggested that people living with dementia could express their memories and feelings through painting. Um, it suggested that um, painting could embrace feelings of uncertainty for people living with dementia and also provide an immersive experience for people. Um, and finally, the last finding was that painting could provide um, verbal and non-verbal decision-making for people living with dementia. So they could make decisions about things. Um, and my participants did lots of decisions, but none of them um, required verbal communication. So, so what sort of examples of decision-making were there? Um, so for example, a lot, um, well, the majority of participants knew when their work was finished. Um, so they could have created this completely abstract image, but findings suggested, you know, they'd hold it up, they'd add a tiny, um, say, pink dot to an area, and then they put it down and they'd say they finished or they just stopped painting. Um, they all chose colour on their own. So um, I worked with people whose dementia um, sort of was moderate getting on to advanced um and they all chose color on their own um they all made marks on their own so there were all those thought processes and decisions going on um that they didn't need to talk about they could just get get on with it so their verbal ability didn't matter mm. okay and i know we've said that art therapy is more about increasing well-being and so this is a, a different idea, but the decision-making must help in a way them feel a bit more in control in a situation that probably feels very much out of control. So it's quite an, a good experience from that point of view in that they're choosing the color themselves. This is the color I am choosing. I am choosing when I have finished. Did you find that, that they felt quite empowered to be able to make those decisions? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think although um, the focus of my PhD wasn't on that kind of benefit to well-being, that was something that was a really strong theme that emerged, was that it was a really positive experience for people. And it mm. did, um, you know, it did allow them to make decisions. It did, um, you know, for example, a participant came in and he was really upset. And then, you know, it painting sort of it created that immersive experience for him and focused on that present moment and he stopped crying so you know there were lots of examples of of how um people did find it positive although mm. that wasn't the initial focus of what I was doing no and you said it was a positive experience which was good but it also um unlocked a lot of feelings and memories and you talked about disenfranchised grief was that did that also bring up quite a lot of negative feelings which are also valid and you know part of the process did that also yeah yeah so similar to um you know positive experiences emerging also negative experiences did um and I think sort of at the outset that was something that I hadn't um anticipated as being a key theme within my work um, mm. but I worked with eight people living with dementia and all eight of those um, at 
times in the workshop expressed negative emotions um, either kind of through their facial expressions or they would cry or through what they said um, and I think that's how uh, Sue and I came to write the paper um, because those feelings of grief did did become present within my research. Mm. And um, Sue, maybe you can jump in here and talk a little bit, maybe about the practical side of it, how, how you set up the workshops, how they were run. Well, that, that's quite an interesting question, actually, because Megan could probably talk a, long, a lot about this, because um, initially, <laughs> initially um, we set up, or Megan set up um, a workshop whereby the participants came to the university and um, Megan had particular activities. We set them um, at tables together. Um, a lot of thought went, went towards how logistically we were going to work with um, the participants in the university. And the, the challenge was trying to both engage with the participants and capture the information at the same time for the research. And what Megan ended up doing was working one-to-one -one with participants in the setting that they were used to working in, which was um, its Rithing Craft Centre in North Wales, a gallery where they go every week and have a workshop and, and in an art setting. So Megan ended up working with them one-to-one -one, and it was a much richer um, experience and um, your attention has to be so much on that individual you're working with when there's only two researchers or artist researchers as we call ourselves with participants, it, it's very difficult. So it was a steep learning curve, wasn't it, Megan? Yeah. Do you want to say more about, about the practicalities? Um, yeah, no, I think you've covered it really well. I think um, just one thing to add was the initial um, group workshop that I did, um, I displayed my artwork around the room and I asked them to respond to that. And actually, um, you know, they had a nice time, but what I'd set out to do was too prescriptive. So, you know, they didn't really... Um, they didn't really engage with it in the same way as they did when I was working with them one-to-one -one because to them, my artwork didn't really mean anything compared to what they were able to paint in the individual sessions. Um, so, so some of them did sort of make paintings and responded to the shapes and colour um, that I'd used. But as Sue said, it just wasn't rich enough data and I wasn't really able to get to know them and and understand their process in the and same way as I That was also a big, a big group. That was all eight together, was it? At, yeah, so workshop, yeah. Yeah, so it was all eight and then their care partners um, mm. came. And yeah, I think, and I think like Sue said, the fact that the space was, wasn't familiar. Um, and I think I just realized that for, for my participants, the most important thing was supporting them to paint and engage with something that was really personal to them. Mm. Um, and also being able to respond to their individual needs. Um, whereas in a group, you know, it, it was too prescriptive what I'd, I'd set. What, 
just to jump in, um, what, what, what did work particularly well was the exhibition at the end of the project. So we've got a um, really quite a nice gallery in, within the university and um, we set up an exhibition of their work alongside Megan's paintings. And we had a, a really nice event where we invited them. We had lunch and it was a celebration for them and their families. And, and that, that was particularly important aspect of the project, I think, to have that celebration and for their artwork to be exhibited alongside professional artists' work. So it wasn't um, seen to be, oh, this is paintings from people with dementia. The quality of their work was important and to raise the status of their artwork to that of a professional artist was particularly important, I think. Did you find that, because you said at the, the initial workshop, you had all eight people and their carers there and you were you had exhibited your work, but there was not so much engagement, you know, look you, like you'd go to an art gallery and go, oh, I like that painting, this, that and the other. Did you find actually they were more engaged with their own artwork and could, you know, there was more engagement that way? Yeah, definitely. I think because it... Um, it meant something mm. to them um, and the majority of participants painted a memory um, so you know when they saw it on the wall I think there was that massive sense of achievement for them because we got them really nicely framed um, you know there, there was that feeling of it gave yeah a sense of achievement I think is the best way of putting it and also when they then viewed their work I think it reminded them and they engaged with what they've been thinking about and what they've been feeling. So yeah, it definitely worked better. Mm -hmm. it, they were obviously quite personal moments and quite, I guess, probably quite private, some of them, but you were doing in one-to-one, -one, but they were happy to have them shown publicly. Yeah, and that's something um, that I was very aware of. And so I made sure um, that, that that was the case before it went ahead um mm. but yeah they they were they were all keen and some of them had done more than one so yeah um yeah I just wonder well. at the beginning or um you were saying that uh they're actually part of a painting group anyway at the gallery is that right yeah yeah so they're not um I just wondered do you think it would work with totally naive painters if you see what I mean yeah and that that was um a point that came up in my Viva actually um, oh, sorry to make it like your Viva again <laughs> no it's okay um but yeah I think you know they they were all engaged in art so they were part of the lost in art group so every week they did a different type of creative activity so you know they were obviously interested in that um, mm. And I think, yeah, it, it may have been different if, you know, working with people who've had no experience, but that was just something that I um, accepted and I stated in my thesis, you know, it, it was clearly, I was clearly working with people who were familiar with engaging in creative activities. I was just going to add a little anecdote. Um, my, my mother, I've tried to encourage her to, to make paintings um, with me, obviously a daughter's an artist. So she um, she really does not like doing that. So what I've done with her is I've been drawing her. 
So I've sat, I sit with her every week for two hours and draw her and it, it's working really well. It's the engagement that we have is really rich. Mm. So, so although that's, I probably wouldn't have thought of doing that if it wouldn't, wasn't for Megan's project. I guess it's just totally uninterrupted time focused on each other but you don't have to talk yeah which, you know must be because you know social situations are stressful and so you're not in you know you're not um enjoying each other's company because you're feeling stressed but if you're sitting does does your mother talk to you or is she 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 normally reads um okay she doesn't really she kind of reads the same book over and over but mm -hmm. she'll now and then she'll remember things and she'll just have a little anecdote so we'll have little bits of conversation that seem more natural than if I'd just go and see her and sit down with her. So. Yeah I, I saw this thing really different to this but it was about um, parents trying to connect a bit more with their teenagers and what they did was they made them drive in a car obviously the parent was driving the teenager in the passenger seat and they'd go for like a half hour drive and because you're not looking at each other and you're in the car, you don't have to talk. They actually found that they talked more and more deeply because they weren't, you know, it wasn't sat down and forced. Yeah. And weren't having to look at each other. Obviously, you're looking at your mother to paint, uh, to draw her, but she can be doing something else or, you know, it just takes the pressure off the social situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And did you find that Megan a bit when, because you're focusing on a task, or that the um, people were focusing on a task, so picking up the paintbrush, choosing colours, that it sort of helped unlock that way. So you, so they're doing a different task, so other memories can come out. Do you see what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, um, and it definitely did stimulate different conversations, um, and I think something else that also helped was I painted alongside them. Um, and just sort of going back to talking about negative emotions. So seven out of the um, eight participants were quite um, negative about their own capabilities of painting. So that was either right at the beginning, they'd say, I don't wanna do this, I can't do it. I'm, I'm no painter. Um, or throughout they'd say, you know, that's not very good, I can't, and, and there was a clear sort of frustration. And I think through being able to paint alongside them, um, that created a, a form of conversation between my painting and their painting that you wouldn't have had through words. And some of the time I would be talking um, to, to somebody and I'd just start to paint and that seemed to really help them to then start to paint. And it just became this mutual um session really rather than me being a facilitator and then being the participant and then from that yeah lots of sort of rich conversations emerged and and yeah it, it was good mm. the the sort of way your paper is set out is really talking about disenfranchised grief which i know we sort of touched on earlier um but maybe you could talk a bit more about that in the context of what you um achieved with your phd yeah, so um, I think I mentioned before, negative emotions emerged as quite a key theme um, 
within my research and Sue and I became interested in the concept of disenfranchised grief um, and I looked at literature um, and it you know there wasn't a lot out there specifically looking at disenfranchised grief for people living with dementia but what there was was saying that um, for people living with dementia negative emotions um, and feelings of loss can often develop into disenfranchised grief. So um, just to sort of, in a nutshell, say what it is, disenfranchised grief is grief that is either not openly acknowledged, not socially sanctioned or not publicly mourned. Um, and my findings from my PhD suggested that um, participants were feeling those things. So, um, for example, um, uh, one of the participants came into the session and then as soon as his wife had left, he began to cry. Um, and, you know, he was very frustrated about how he felt incapable of doing things and the reliance he had on his wife. Um, and it was that kind of, I think that, that experience actually with that participant was what sparked my interest off. It was looking at how, you know, he felt like he couldn't openly acknowledge what he was feeling. Um, yeah, and then and then the research went from there. Do you mean openly acknowledge to his wife, and and yeah. or to himself and to himself as well? Yeah. So I think in that case, it was he felt um, he couldn't openly acknowledge it to his wife. Um, it it was quite a hard concept uh, to work on because people's verbal um, communication was quite varied, but. I was interested in, you know, suggest, you know, what could be suggested from that. So the fact that he'd waited until his wife had left the room and then he immediately became very upset. It was this feeling um, that I got that he didn't, he didn't want to become upset and didn't want to say those things whilst his wife was there. And it just got me thinking about, um, you know, the, the stigma around dementia and, how, how do people feel like that? And actually through painting, can that give people a sense of purpose? And, you know, with what we were saying about decision-making, it, it gives people back a sense of control, a sense of purpose. Um, yeah, and, and that's where the paper developed from really. And also, I guess you're making something like, it, it sounds a bit trivial, but you know, you've gone from a totally blank piece of paper to a picture although you know you said some people felt uncomfortable and they didn't think it was any good it's still going from nothing to a something and you have done that yourself you've created that you know like you say you've made the decisions on the color and all of that but it's you know that's something that's now in the world that you have made and I guess those feelings of stigma and that you know you can't openly acknowledge grief and all social dislocation is that one of the things and you know you're feeling less of a contributing person but this is a thing that you can do and you can make at the end and you have something that you have done yourself to show for time passing and you know you've put your thoughts and memories into it yeah yeah definitely and yeah you, you've hit the nail on the head there really that that was what was important. And I think why the exhibition at the end was so important because it was celebrating that achievement. Um, and, you know, there were, you know, people did experience negative 
emotions but also there was this kind of positive experience where they were genuinely pleased with with what they'd done and it was I was trying to focus on you know for people living with dementia that there's often a huge sense of loss um with regards to what they're experiencing and I was looking at you know what experiences can people still access even if their verbal ability um isn't as good anymore and my workshops seem to um tap in to those capabilities that people had so they could produce something at the end that they felt was a sense of achievement mm. um I just wonder sort of now what what's what's happening now for you because that was obviously your PhD you've written that up you've done your viva um do you think it's something that could be implemented in social care pathways are you pushing for that what what's happening now in your with your work yeah so as um sue mentioned earlier we're both looking for opportunities um i think there is um an an issue with funding and doing one-to-one -one, um workshops you know it's not necessarily as sustainable model um as doing group workshops but i think what i'm interested in is yeah pushing for um, funding that will allow uh, Sue and I to focus on this one-to-one -one in sort of interaction between us as artists and people living with dementia, but also to to use what I've found from my PhD and apply that in perhaps bigger group settings. So um, just you know a really simple way that I would do that is rather than even if I was with a group of people. Um, living with dementia I wouldn't um, have a set task for them to do I kind of be mindful that and try and support them to create something that's personal to them um, but yeah that's definitely something that I'm quite passionate about carrying on um, and also you know using artists and using the knowledge that artists have to promote new knowledge in health and that's something that I'm really interested in and I think Sue is too. I don't know if you want to add any more Sue. Um, I might just say a little bit about some of the initiatives that we've got um, that might we're hoping might lead to further opportunities so um, we're working in in Wales they have a arts and health coordinator in every health board so we work very closely with um, the arts and health coordinator at Betsy Cudwallida University Health Board um, we're looking um, for the possibility of bringing some grant income in to work with the health board um, on outreach projects, possibly in the field of dementia. So we're just looking at partnerships, really, and ways of working effectively across different organisations, be that um, local arts, galleries, um, the health board. It's quite challenging at the moment, obviously, and particularly with COVID. Um, but we we we're doing what we can, aren't we, Megan, to to try and yeah. get disseminate the findings of of the research. There's um, Bangor University also have um, a dementia centre. Um, we've worked with with them, so we're just looking at new models of working to try and promote the work. And obviously the ultimate goal would be to embed some of this work into healthcare 
care services. That, that's the ultimate goal. Sorry, I'm just going to do a tiny aside. Did you say there's um, an arts and health board? Is, um, is that what you said? There's the, the local, our local health board in North Wales is called um, Betsy Codwallader University Health Board. They employ an arts in health coordinator. Right, okay. They have somebody oh, wow. specifically, and Wales um, has done this with every health board and partly, partly with the help of Arts Council Wales to basically embed um, an individual or coordinator in each of the health boards in Wales and they work together looking at initiatives um, across across Wales that feeds into oh, me. Wow, that's, yeah. That's amazing. So and this is all part, sort of part of what you were talking about at the beginning, visual arts for a better society. Yeah. And so someone yeah. actually on the health board. Um, I think a lot of this work in Wales is driven by the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which um, the aim is to embed culture and well-being into every aspect of, of life. So, for example, um, all the arts organisations will be looking at this Future Generations Act, Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, to basically try and the vision is to ensure a better future through culture, health and well-being and within Wales. So the um, Arts Council Wales are promoting this and very much um, looking at arts and health and looking at ways of funding it and ways of working in collaboration with other organisations such as the health boards, arts, um, arts organisations um, to grow projects in the field. So the evidence, the research is really important because that's going to actually um, help with that work. Yeah. If we have the evidence, then we have the possibility of expanding the work. That's amazing. I, I didn't realise that. Um... Okay, uh, I think we're coming to the end of today's podcast. Do you have any other bits you want to discuss? I just wanted to say thank you, really. Yes, thank you very much for the opportunity. I've enjoyed it. You're welcome. I, it's been fascinating. My, uh, my dad has dementia and he used to paint and he's actually really come back into it. Um, and you sort of got me thinking that maybe I should sit with him while he's painting a bit more and spend that sort of time with him. Yeah. Like we said about, you know, not forced conversation. We can just sit and paint and see yeah. what happens. So, yeah. yeah. Been very inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much to both of you. Um, we have profiles on both of today's panellists on the website and their Twitter accounts. If you have anything to add on this topic, please do drop us a tweet using hashtag ECRDementia. And I'd like to remind everyone that we have a great website, dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk. Register today and you get weekly updates and we have daily blogs, events, details of the latest funding calls and jobs. So thank you very much for listening. Mm -hmm.
Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society. Supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.